it sounds bizarre to say because it's a communication field, but just learning to adjust and change your work environment, you know, it was, a, it was an adjustment, not being able to do things in the studio or not being able to talk to my coworker over here and get a proof of my script, having to email everything, testing out new equipment in the field and trying to adjust to that, you know, just not having access to everything in one spot, I think was the inconvenience at first. COVID-19 has certainly altered a lot of our lives. Many of us who are used to getting up, going to an office, going to a studio, going to a warehouse, or what have you, that changed. Today's guest, Miss Sydney Simone, she comes on to share her story. We discuss how COVID-19 changed how she was able to be a journalist. She also discusses how she got into the business. So I'm very excited for you guys to get the opportunity to sit in on this conversation. You may have heard the app called Clubhouse. She is responsible for creating the room titled Minorities in Media, where it is essentially a safe space and you can get a lot of great free information. So ladies and gentlemen, sit back. Here's my conversation with Miss Sydney Simone. All right, ladies and gentlemen, on the line today, I have the honor and pleasure of bringing to you somebody who is a star in this media world. Of course, she's humble, so she won't be walking around saying it, but I'm going to say it for her. And that is the one and only Miss Sydney Simone. Sydney, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me and inviting me on. I, I feel real honored. I'm like, dang. You know, he's inviting me on to be on his podcast and, you know, I was checking out your your work and your previous episodes and I, I love the work so far. So um, I feel honored to be here. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking time out your busy schedule. Um, before we get started and, you know, talking about your career and what you're doing now, how are you feeling? This is obviously we're in 2021. Um, by the time this comes out, we will have a brand new president, and most importantly, in my opinion, most importantly, a brand new first, uh, a brand new vice president, uh, as history will be made. But as we, you know, moving forward, you know, it's been a long year. So how are you feeling? First off, um, the change in presidency is long overdue. Um, so like when they impeached him the first time, he should have been removed from office. So you know, just some of the facts and different hearing different commentators and uh, say, you know, um, they think he's unfit to do his job. Now it's just like, that's what we've been telling you for this amount of time. But um, other than that, you know, so it is a lot going on. We have pandemic, we have the, the issues with the, with the capital, state capital and um, the president and everything like that. But just trying to find that balance between um, you know, separating work life and personal personal life, which as a journalist is kind of hard to do because I'm always watching the news. You got to always be up, so it's kind of hard. You know, I have friends that say, "Oh, I took a two month social media break." Well, I you know I can't necessarily do that because I need to know what's going on. And um, the world that we live in today, a lot of our news content is on social media. So you know, I just take time during my day to kind of separate and just re rejuvenate, do something I like. I like to do just to refocus my mind. So hopefully, um, you know, I'm praying that this is you know new president. You know, we see some light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully, we can same thing with COVID nineteen. So I think we're all getting kind of tired because it's been a year, a little over a year. I mean, it, the coronavirus didn't become well known until about February, March, but I was reporting on it like December, 2019, January, 2020. So I say a year, a little bit over a year. So hopefully, you know. I'm glad you brought that up because um, I was just telling somebody that, you know, I work in, in being in the media relations world at Johns Hopkins, same thing, heard about it December, January. Um, so it's, you know, it's good to hear somebody else who's in the same boat did you think it would be like this? And, I, and what I mean, did you think it would be 
something that would go like I don't know if you remember in 2016 there was the Zika virus that was a big deal mm -hmm. uh, we also dealt with Ebola a few years before that did you think it was going to kind of be like one of those things like okay this would be a big deal we'll pay attention to it and then it'll go away I did I'm not even gonna lie I can't even lie to you I did and I don't I thought it was just something that maybe it'll be here for a couple months not okay. a year plus so maybe like give it two months or so, maybe three tops. Cause I know at first in March, I thought it was bizarre that we were canceling things out in August. But as time went on and I started reporting and talking to different doctors and seeing what was happening, I realized, oh shoot, we might be in this a little bit longer. But even that little bit longer, I didn't think it would be a year later. Um, so I think it has prolonged a lot longer than I expected it to and a lot longer than I thought but it was still new, you know, it wasn't enough research in the beginning. And it was a lot of inconsistency from, you know, um, you know, uh, different medical providers and, you know, the president himself. So it was just a lot of information, you know, that we were still trying to juggle. And I was doing stories with, you know, people who also were still trying to figure it out. So, you know, I do, I do what, what we call these like check-ins quarterly with a researcher who works with the coronavirus. And every time I interviewed him, it was different because the research, the, uh, what they were telling us and how to react to it changed every single time we talked. So it was just, you know, it's a lot, like people say, it's a lot of uncertainty, even though I know that sounds cliche, but it is. Yeah, I remember my manager came to me that last day I went to work and um, where I was in the office. And that Friday, they kind of made the decision to cancel schools. And I think here in Baltimore, they um, they sped up like they took a, a break for spring break. I think they might sped it up or something. And I remember she said, I don't think this is going to peak until June. And, and I was like, huh? And I, we, we went to, we had like the command center and we would all go sit in there and just kind of like be a part of the conversations. And I can remember when it was only 798, and that sounds bad that I say only, but it was 798 deaths in the US at that time. And then, you know, the numbers have just gotten out of control. And then I remember they said, okay, we encourage you to work from home. And I don't think any of us predicted it would go on this long. And I've been one to say, and as somebody who's dealt with um, family members who've had it, my wife, mother, and father all had it. I'm like, okay, can like, <laughs> when I see like a bunch of people in one space, it's cringeworthy. And even before they had it, I still felt that way. You know, um, my birthday's in August. I didn't have a party. I celebrated via Zoom, just my uh, family and, you know, my wife, kids and my sister and parents over, but it's just so much going on, you know? Yeah. I mean, I kind of, mine was in April. So that was in the midst of everything, right? When it first, like literally everything shut down the week mm. before my birthday. Oh, and I was man. just like, no, oh my gosh. So um, I just ended up, you know, um, I just ended up spending it with some friends, some close friends, just a couple of us. I didn't go like out and do everything I intended to do, um, like you said. But for me, I'm in East Texas, so um, it's smaller here. So at the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't really have cases like that. Like I think everybody else was like, oh, the cases are spiking, blah, blah, blah. We really didn't get a case. I don't even want to say when, just because I don't want to be wrong, but it was a, a couple weeks after everybody had seen cases. So I think here people weren't taking it as seriously as, at first because, you know, people don't take it serious until it hits home. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have cases like that. And even when we did, we were slow. At, uh, it, they weren't rising like it was everywhere else. So um, for me, it was like take precaution. I'm still trying to figure this out myself. But um, I think we were still kind of operating as normal. Um, we did go to working at home, but everything around us, like stores and everything like that, didn't completely shut down right away just because it hadn't fully reached us yet and we didn't understand the magnitude. But once it did, then, you know, I kind of had to make the adjustments. And so um, I ended up, you know, having COVID myself. So, oh, so um, sorry to hear that. Not too long ago. So it wasn't bad for me, too bad for me. Uh, thank God, you know. 
Um, I wasn't hospitalized or anything like that. I didn't lose my taste of smell or smell. So um, I didn't get the worst end of it like a lot of people have. So I'm grateful for that, but I did experience it. Are you planning a huge celebration and perhaps you need some balloons to make your event look nice? Well, I have the perfect place for you and a symphony of balloons. Symphony of balloons will do all events, including baby showers, weddings, birthday parties, or that special anniversary. Contact them today at 410-802-1531 or email them at symphonyofballoons at gmail.com and tell them Brian H. Waters sent you. Now, when you, um, and we'll get to the beginning, but you know, just, just the way the conversation has dictated, because you, you talked about like going to work from home. How did you make those adjustments as far as, you know, reporting and getting the stories? And obviously you eventually got to a point where you wasn't just reporting on COVID. So how did you, how were you able to adjust when you would start working from home? I hated it at first. I hated it. I was just like, this sucks because you know I work in a television station and you're you're actively talking to people I mean we're not naturally social anyway as people but just being in an environment where you have to be social and your whole work environment operates off of that it was kind of hard you know it sounds bizarre to say because it's a communication field but just learning to adjust and change your work environment you know it was an, it was an adjustment not being able to do things in the studio or not being able to talk to my coworker over here and get a proof of my script having to email everything testing out new equipment in the field and trying to adjust to that you know just not having access to everything in one spot i think was the inconvenience at first but as time went on and you know everything got settled we figured out how to operate and how to set up virtually now, if you ask me the same question, because we, we're back to working at home now for the holidays, I like it. You know, I figured <laughs> out how to work, make it work in the comfort of my home. I got my setup. I'm cool. I've adjusted to it, which I think is what a lot of people are doing now. They're adjusting to this new environment. And it's scary because I keep hearing conversations about, oh, we might be in this another year or two. And I'm just like, another year or two. <laughs> it's already been a year. So, it, you know. Now, did you set up a space because yeah you are working on television so you're a public figure however there still has to be a level of privacy maintained right and you're essentially welcome in the world it's not just local tv no more because like think about it you're in texas i'm in baltimore and we met each other through like social media and abj etc right but when you produce content, I'm able to go to the internet and watch it. So you're essentially welcoming the world into your space. So did you set up uh, just a certain space where you would only do your uh, TV hits so that you could still have that level of privacy? I'm going to be real honest. So um, I'm in the process of fixing up my apartment. You know, I had just moved not too long ago. So I'm be I'm, I'm I'm a transparent person. Right now, my stuff is sitting on like a little card table. I threw this po this picture up on the wall to look like I have something. This is what I've been using. <laughs> so right now, I'm in the process. The space that I have dedicated for like my office slash studio, I'm actually in the process of getting that together. It's just not together yet. So I do want to create like a, a creative space for myself. So that's what I'm planning to make my dining room. So. For me, when I did stuff indoors, it was literally just that picture in a blank wall. So I didn't feel like I was exposing myself too much, but I did want to kind of keep it professional. But like I said, right now, I'm just in that process of building my own creative space so that I can have my corner to where it's like not where I'm exposing myself. Like you said, it's safety first. I feel like you never know who's watching. You don't know if people are picking up like, oh, that's that wall in that complex over there you know things like that mm -hmm. but for me um only time I did like stuff in the house was something like this with your podcast or um when I got pulled in to do um segments or like hits for other stations I would do it in, in the house but for the most part I was always going live in the field so I never had to really invite this market into my home um okay. so I've you know I've kind of had that that luxury a little bit Okay. Yeah. I was always, you know, wondering that, you know, I'm, I'm naturally somebody who was like, 
you know, keep your space uh, separate. Yeah. See, I like your set. I like your setup. See, that's what I'm trying to figure out what I want to do. Cause I feel like just based on the background that you have, I could tell that you like wrestling. And I know I heard <laughs> that on your other podcast episodes. Mm -hmm. um, so I could tell, and now that's how I want something like a creative space that where you can just see what my interests are just from, you know, my background. So yeah. I'm in the process of really building that up and I'm probably taking me a lot longer than what it should have, but um, I want to make sure that when I get it all together, it's something that I'm comfortable working in. Absolutely. Yeah. And this was when we moved here, um, the decision, you know, was that the basement would be kind of like my man cave, but I knew that because of the wrestling show that this part would be for the podcasting side of things. And then that way I could always just at any given time, boom, sit down and talk, you know, right. so you'll figure it out. I'm excited to see, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited, too. And, like, it takes me a long time <laughs> to get stuff together. Like, I, I when it comes to that, like, I'm type of person, I'm not going to spend the money unless I want to, and unless it's on something that I want. So I'm going to make sure it's done right. So yeah, absolutely. So when did you decide that you wanted to get into this field? Oh, officially? It was in high school. I think I didn't realize it until now, within the last year or so, that I had an interest for it at a very young age and I was surrounded by it at a very young age. Mm -hmm. um, in high school, I we had a, a television class and studio called PNN and Pirate News Network. And so we had a full studio, produced a morning show every morning. And then on Fridays, we had like a 30 minute or hour long show with different stories that we um, did throughout the week. So that's where I got my exposure. I also did the media team and um, media ministry at my church as well in high school. So that's when I really fell in love with it. I was an athlete, so I really just thought, hey, why not go the route of sports journalism? Mm -hmm. um, just because I had been playing basketball and running track um, and things like that. But I would say at a young age, I was um, getting creative with it. Um, I had the YouTube channel at one point. Um, I was playing, I always had an ask for like video cameras and things like that for Christmas. And I would just make videos and play around with editing websites. And, you know, at a young age, I didn't realize I was actually branding myself. So my social media challenge uh, channels and um, at names and all that, that's been there for well over 10 years, maybe close to 15 years. Mm -hmm. Like, I started branding myself um, and just, I, I didn't realize it was called branding at that time. But I think all of the things I was doing in terms of building websites, building my social media profiles, being consistent with my handles and things like that. I started that at a young age. And then when I got to like the high school age, I started taking it seriously. And then I ended up majoring in it in college. And I went back and forth on my major. <laughs> First, I thought I wanted to do sports management. We didn't have that. So then I was going to do like business, something in business, because I, I kept hearing, you know, you're a journalist, you know, you're in the field, you know, we don't make a lot of money starting out. So at first that kind of scared me a little bit. And so then I'm just going through all these other majors and I'm just like, oh, my heart wasn't with any of them. So I was just like, you know what, I'm going to step out on faith, take a risk and do something that I want to do and I have an interest in. And when I told my family that I was going to, you know, do mass communication, of course, they supported me, but they were just like, well, you, same thing. You know, they don't like make a lot of money and you may not have a job and it's very competitive. And so um, to me, I, I also felt like I had a responsibility to kind of like show them that I could do it. And once they saw that I was serious and I took it serious, they, you know, they were on board with it. But I just didn't, for, for a while, every time when I was growing up, my dad would always say, oh, you know, um, I don't really care for my job or I don't really like what I do, but I'm good at it and it makes me the money. So I'm just like, well, why do I want to make a bunch of money doing something that I don't like and I don't care for? So um, once I got to school, once I hit high school and then got to college and um, I stuck with it, I realized it was for me and I didn't really think about the money and I'm still not, so. Yeah, you, you mentioned stepping out on faith. And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand is that. So 
when people think of money, of course, everybody want to be rich or whatever, whatever. But when all actuality, the goal is really to be able to live comfortably. And, you know, if you, you know, prioritize things, you can do that. And you, you talked about just stepping out on faith. I think that's important. And people really need to understand that, you know, obviously the good Lord has blessed you to be successful at what you want to do and you enjoy it. Um, you you talked about the uh, social media pages. Did you have a MySpace page? I did. See, <laughs> I got on MySpace at the very end of, um, like, towards the end. So As my mom didn't really, yeah, <laughs> my mom didn't really, like, yeah, she wasn't the video game person. She wasn't okay. too into, like, the computers. I finally did get a computer. So my mom was kind of on the strict side. I couldn't even watch certain television networks. But so when I finally got on, um, yeah, I did have a MySpace. Um, I forget what else was out back then. And then I think right when I got on MySpace, it transitioned to Facebook. Do you ever think that, like, if MySpace would have stayed hot, we would have more coders? Because you just know how, like, people design yeah, their page. Yeah, you design the page, right. And <laughs> I, I was doing that at a young age, too, and it was so cool. I think so. Like, MySpace was a, a really good space for creatives. Mm -hmm. And, like, I think that was so fun. I think now it was social media pages is basic but I think my MySpace is really unique and I to this day I still don't know why everybody just ran from MySpace and over to Facebook think, so when when Tom the the creator sold it to Fox it took a focus more on music yeah and, music. yeah and then uh Facebook was just it was cleaner like MySpace got a little too busy I think and I know I have one and, you know, it was always the top eight. And then you could, you know, yeah. switch that around. And like my guard brother who was taking like those computer classes, he showed me how to, you know, use the codes. He's like, you got to go into properties. You copy that. And that's how you make a top 16 or a top 32. Yes. And yes. I was like, oh, okay. And then you could also, you know, you obviously you had your pictures on there. Uh, I remember when they started, right before they left, I think they that's when they started the instant message thing. Yeah, um, and I had the fallen objects on there. I had yeah. fallen, the words of fall. I had my playlist in rotation because I think it was a mixer or something like that. So you had to import the link into mm -hmm. your, yes, like I didn't even put the two and two together until you mentioned it, but yeah. And then and, you know, doing a lot of. And see, like we had, so obviously I'm like older. <laughs> um, it was 05 when I first got my MySpace page or 04 and 0405. And I remember sometimes the uh, computers crashing because somebody had like so much stuff on their page and I would like click on it. And it was like, I'm like what just happened? You know? Yeah, I had everything going on in the background. I think I'm one time I think you probably gave somebody like a brain freeze or whatever, <laughs> just a shock. I had so much going on, colors flashing, objects falling, music playing. But mm -hmm. I think it showed it gave your page more personality. You could see who a person was just by looking at their page before you even clicked on a picture. You got to know who they are. So I think, um, I think that was dope. You know, I, I wonder how, I don't know how kids these days will react to my face, but it, it was dope. That's a good question. <laughs> I wonder right, you know, I think it's too much work for them. They don't want to do all that work to decorate. It's too much. Yeah. <laughs> So you, you know, you went to Purdue. What led you to Purdue University? The money. It was okay. cheaper. My <laughs> first thought was to go far away from home. I didn't look at Purdue. I didn't even send an application to Purdue. I did it. Never hit submit. My mom submitted it. That's <laughs> how much I didn't want to go there. Um, not that it's not a good school. It's just my mom went there and my sister's dad. I have family that went there. It was too close to home. So I'm thinking California, East Coast. <laughs> I applied to like five HBCUs, got accepted. Um, except for the money they didn't they weren't offering the money that Purdue was and once I started sitting down and looking at things cost wise Purdue was just cheaper so it was more affordable for me to stay and that's how I ended up there did you live on campus or you still stayed at home no I actually lived on campus I was about an hour or so away from home so I was there um, then of course I moved up moved in with friends had apartments and it was cool uh, I know before I actually chose Purdue, though, that summer before I went to Iowa State, I think they offered me some money, too, and I went to do a visit. Mm -hmm. As soon as I got there, I said, nope, no, <laughs> I'm not coming here. I just wanted to cry. 
Oh, it was man. worse than Indiana. It was cornfields everywhere. It was like cornfield, cornfield, Walmart, cornfield, 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 campus, cornfield, 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 cornfield <laughs> Target. And I was just like, oh no, no. And the percentage of black people was a lot smaller. Purdue, I think, only has maybe one or two percent. I don't even want to imagine. I, I would say must have had 0.5. I don't know. But <laughs> it was less than Purdue. It was worse than Purdue. Oh, wow. I can say the, the black community at Purdue um, is tight. So That's good. Now, you did mention, you know, thinking about getting into sports journalism. And I see, you know, you, you know, obviously intern there. What led you kind of away from it? Or is that something that you're looking to do down the line? Uh, why not sports right away? I did. I tried everything I did in school was sports related. I did okay. sideline reporting for Big Ten Network. Um, I interned at the local sports, uh, at the local television station there in the sports department. Um, you know, so I, I job shadowed Anthony Calhoun um, in Indianapolis. So I was looking to go into sports and everything I applied to or applied for was sports related. So I graduated in May. I applied from May to August, all sports. Wasn't hearing back from anyone. Decided to apply for news, you know, prayed on it, prayed on it, talked to like a mentor. They said, hey, have you thought about news? Yeah, yeah. Don't want to do news, want to do sports. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks went by, I prayed on it thought about it, gave it a shot. I applied for news. What you think? They called me back. Now, first of all, I put the application in and I forgot that I put the application in. That's how much I really was not thinking about news. Didn't even have a news reel completely, to be honest. I had a sports reel. Fill out the uh, news reel application or news application. Sports director calls me. Hey, how are you? You know, I got this job in Texarkana. First off, in my head, I'm like, it's Texarkana. But anyway, I'm just listening. I'm Googling Texarkana. What is this? So then he's like, um, are you interested? I'm like, yeah, I'm interested, blah, blah, blah. He's like, cool, I'm looking at your work. I see you don't have a, a newsreel. I said, no, I have a sports reel, but I did try to put some news pieces into a separate reel. And I think he respected the fact that I did try to do both. So, you know, he looked at it. And on top of that, at the time, I had like a radio talk show on the platform called Station Head and that I had started like a sports talk show. So I think he saw that I was passionate. So he gave me the opportunity. Um, So, yeah, I'm in I'm in news. You know, that was the way to get my foot in the door. So at this point, I'm still thinking sports, sports, sports. I'm doing news to get to sports. So um, this was last year. Then, uh, so 19, 2019, 2020 comes. Boom, I get an opportunity. I'm going to sports. They offered me to go to sports. Got moved back, pandemic hit, no sports. So I'm back in news. So at that point, that's the second time I tried to go to sports. And, you know, I'm just like, okay, God. Take me where you want me to go. If it's meant for me to go back to sports, it'll happen. If not, maybe it's not meant to happen or maybe it's not meant to happen right now. So I started just taking advantage of where I was at, started appreciating where I'm at, which is the news. And I actually do like it. I've grown to love it. Um, I still have an interest in sports. Um, will I ever go back? I'm still trying to figure that out. Uh, you know, we still... In sports, I mean, in news, we still cover a lot of um, local sports anyway. So in, in the fall, everybody's covering football, whether you news or sports. And then occasionally the sports department pulls us to, you know, go shoot some um, some highlights or go shoot a signing day. But for me, I think in terms of sports, I'm figuring out which lane I want to be in. And I'm more so on the personal storytelling side. Now the highlights are cool, that's great, I know how to do them, but I think I enjoy more so digging deeper into who this athlete is, their story and why they're an athlete. So I think um, if I do go into sports, um, it would be something more so in that realm. Um, It also showed me during the pandemic that hey, at any point in time, sports can be taken away. News is always here. People always need to know what's going on. So, like I said, no matter which way I go, I'm just praying and asking for God to lead me on the direction and the path that he wants me to go. I want to take a quick minute to talk about mental health. As you all know, we are living in unprecedented times, whether it's the racial pandemic 
or a COVID-19 pandemic? Well, I want to introduce you to Hope Again Counseling Services, where transformation begins. Hope Again provides help for children, adolescents, adults, family, and couples. So give them a call at 410-698-8442 or visit them on the web at yourhopeagain.com to book your appointment. If you are willing to believe, you will begin to achieve and ultimately Hope Again Counseling Services can help you receive all that is meant for you. It's interesting you said that too. Uh, I remember 2013, I got an opportunity. I went to ESPN and um, I was a production assistant. And thank God my cousin Addis lived up there. So I didn't have to rush and get an apartment because he allowed me to stay with him. And I only stayed there three weeks. And I remember when I was there, he said, so you, you think you want to make Connecticut your home? Now, in my mind, when I got there, I said, all right, I'm going to do 10 years here and see what happens. Well, <laughs> it ended up only being two. But I remember one of the things he said was, man, well, you know, you in sports, that's a good job. People are always going to have sports and this, that, and the other. And 2020 showed us that that wasn't the case. You know, we was watching people playing esports more than anything, you know, or we was watching, you know, basketball players, you know, WNBA superstars and NBA superstars playing horse from their homes, you know. Um, what has been your favorite story that you've covered outside, you know, like non-COVID, but it can happen during COVID, but what's been like your favorite story or a story that resonated with you a lot that you had an opportunity to cover? Well, that's hard. Um, just because I cover so many stories on a daily basis. Um, I don't know if I say I have a favorite, but I have impactful stories that I remember. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you can um, choose, yeah. So I would say the one I did about it, it was an 11-year-old kid who got his dying wish um, to visit the cabins in Broken Bow, Oklahoma. Um, he was dying from cancer. And I saw him the day before he passed. Didn't know he was going to pass the next day. But it was cool to go up and meet with him and, you know, talk to his family about, you know, just um, what he's been going through as a kid. But just to see, you know, him smile and just they had a parade for him and, you know, he got this big um, cabin to stay in and just kind of see his last moments on earth. You know, that was memorable for me. Um, it was kind of sad just waking up to a text message the next morning saying that he had passed. Um, but that was memorable. And just seeing the impact the story had on the family and the community, I think that's what makes, you know, makes, the, makes it memorable for me. But um, 2020 had so many, so many ups and downs. But uh, the, the protests, the Black Lives Matter protests, a lot of those stories were impactful. They were, they were memorable. I got to dive into the community and kind of like stand with my community a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like I was a part of it. Now, of course, I still had to be neutral in the way I told the story, but I felt like I was standing with my people at that time. Um, so yeah, anytime a story that I could have an impact on a community or a family, I think those are the, the, the best stories for me. Now with your, you know, have you ever had any of your friends and family ask you, when are you coming home to be like a local reporter there? Um, you know, they haven't really. I think my dad kind of hints at it sometimes because uh, I'm from Detroit, but I grew up outside of Chicago mm -hmm. in the suburbs. So uh, my dad kind of hints about Detroit sometimes. Sometimes my mom kind of hints about going back up there, but um, even Atlanta, though, because I got a lot of family down there. My aunts, my sisters, my best friends are in Atlanta. And, you know, they all, you know, Atlanta's popping. So they always say, when are you going to come come there? And I actually started in Atlanta before I got a job. I After I graduated from Purdue, I didn't have a job. So I moved in with my sister in Atlanta. And, you know, I'm thinking Black Hollywood is the place to be for Black opportunities. Boom, I'm in the right spot. God said, no. It was too much distraction at that time when I got there. And I was just like, I really think he did remove me just because I probably would have been distracted. I was... Man, when I, tell, I was out every day because there's something to do every day in Atlanta. Oh, 
Oh, I know. Uh, I think if I if I go back now, I will be more disciplined because I've been there, done it. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think just in that moment too, um, I had to be patient in that moment because that span of what four months that I was in Atlanta, I didn't have anything. I kept trying to get opportunities there, but I realized you know that wasn't the time or the place for me, and I had to have faith. And for the first time in my life, I was comfortable with not having nothing, which is weird because for me. I'm someone that likes to plan it out. Mm-hmm. I like to know what's coming next. I like to have a job. I ain't had none of that. And for the first time, I was like, this feels really weird. I don't have any, I don't know where my next move is, but I'm enjoying not having anything to do. And I think that was God's way of just sitting me down. So I think, yeah, long term, I want to either go back towards Chicago or Atlanta. I'm not sure if I'm in a rush. But I'm just, again, I'm just going. If God takes me there next, I'm going. If it's 10 years from now, I'm going, so. I hear that. And now you um, you mentioned that you, you know, you had a radio show. You ever see yourself doing that or getting into like podcasting or anything? I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> um, I haven't mentioned it or told anyone, but like now I'm, I did do, a, do it on a platform called Station Head for a span of about, maybe about four or five months um so I was just pulling different college athletes in but um I haven't done it in about a year now I'm trying to figure out what platform I'm thinking about bringing it back and if so which platform which medium um and just trying to figure out how I want to revamp the show and kind of bring it back because I did you know someone on Clubhouse the other day actually said they appreciated that I you know had something like that so um, now I'm just trying to figure out how can I bring that back? And I am thinking about bringing it back with some type of video platform um, and still incorporating the radio side to it. So yeah, hopefully soon, once I figure it all out, um, I will have it um, college playground back up and running. <laughs> well, you definitely let me know because I will definitely be up and ready to support. Um, you mentioned Clubhouse before we get out of here. Um, you host a room every week right uh minorities and media yeah 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 every week that happened um organically actually mm-hmm. um i just literally got on the app trying to figure it out started a room i said hey let's see who comes in here if, <laughs> if nobody comes in here i'm just gonna go join a different room i start the room i think my asia was the first one to pop in then d holt popped in we just talking and then all of a sudden people just kept popping in and I was like, oh, people come to talk to little old me. This is so cool. And I think we end up starting a conversation um, surrounding a, a very important topic in the, media, in the media industry. And a lot of, uh, I just happened to name the room Minorities in Media. I want to see who would pop in. And I think it just caught people's attention. And from that point forward, I was just like, hey, my AJD, do you, do you guys want to, you know, just go in, on, go in with me and kind of co-host this room every week? And it was like, sure. So every week we, we get together, um, we have a set topic for that week, and we just talk about um, anything from mentors to agents, publicists, managers, how to get your first job, what was your experience like as a Black person in the field, and we just kind of have open conversation, and naturally, I think you can take away from it and learn from other people who've been in the industry, um, but this isn't just like a room to just, hey, get your notebook, we're just giving out gems. It's meant to spark conversation um, that we need to have within the Black community and for those who are in the industry, just so we can learn and we can grow. That's what that space is for. Um, so I think it's good. You know, it's a great way to connect with other people. And it's been doing pretty well. I think we've been at it for a little bit over a month. So yeah, Wednesdays yeah, at 7.30 Central. And I just want to say publicly say I appreciate it. I've had an opportunity to come in there a couple of times and, you know, just listen to other people for me around May, was it? Yeah, about mm-hmm. May, June, because George Floyd was murdered Memorial Day. So after that, you know, I saw a lot of y'all covering the protests and it was a lot of, um, lot of prayers, some tears shed for me, because even though I'm not out there seeing my brothers and sisters out there on the front lines, hearing about them getting tear gassed, and all of these things going on, it was so frustrating because you, you feel helpless. Like, what can you do? Um, 
and you you just worried that um something could happen uh, i know like brianna dawkins was out and the person she was with you know got his uh you know shot in the eye and i'm thinking about like brianna has been like a you know a close friend of mine i'm like oh no you know sis out there and this this and others you're just trying to work you know tony benton this junior same thing and there was times at work where we had like those open discussions now <laughs> i might get in trouble for this but i don't care um in market communications there's about maybe 150 200 of us in media relations which is a division of marketing and communications it's about 20 of us right so the media relations side is like okay let's have this open conversation they do this big survey we found out that more like 42 percent of people didn't want to have these conversations so one of my colleagues a white woman who's one of my closest friends on a job was upset like why don't people want to have these conversations why is it this these numbers is high? i said I'm not surprised, you know, and having that space, you know, is great because y'all allow people to get these gems. Everybody else does. I had Daniel Artest on here two weeks ago and he was, he's the brother of Ron Artest or um, Meta Stanford Artest. And I asked him about nepotism. I said, everybody in other cultures will get their brother in, get their sister in. We don't always do the same or we say no. And he said like, if he'd have just took the help from his brother, he probably would have had two years, two seasons in the NBA, you know? And I think with, like you said, y'all giving out free gems, you know? And, and like I said, I just want, I know I just went on a rant, but mm -hmm. I just wanted to publicly thank you for creating that space. No problem. And I thank you, people like you for tuning in and giving your input as well. And I think that's important. Like you just said, we don't share enough. Sometimes we feel like we have to withhold information, um, you know, but if we can have conversations, then I think we can at least take it back to our own workplace and make a difference there. Um, even if, you know, you're not using it for yourself, you know, use it to help others that are coming behind you. That's what it's, it's just meant to be, just to have conversations and bring up topics that are definitely needed in the Black community within our industry. It's a small industry for us anyway, a small industry regardless, but even smaller for us. And, you know, we have to help each other at the end of the day. Yeah. Did you, um, did you get a chance to go to a conference in Miami? I did not. Oh. I did not. <laughs> Man, I can, I'm be honest, I cannot afford to go. And I was just watching it flood my social media timelines. And I, I try not to live with regrets, but now I'm kind of like regretting it only because we're going to have to go two years before another conference in person. So that's what I'm just like, dang, you know, we just missed DC. We're missing Houston. I was mad about DC. It was like right down, well, it's an hour yeah. away. Yeah. It's like, well, Houston is not, it's four hours from me, so I was still going to drive, and I was just like, well, yeah, neither of those. So Vegas would be fun. Um, oh, yeah. Keep an eye on the lookout. There's always somebody who's offering a free, um, what you call it? Uh, I can't think of the word right now. <laughs> um, I don't want to say scholarship, but, you know, looking to sponsor. Somebody. Right, but you right. know, two years from now, we speaking this existence, you're gonna be like where you want to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, because I know I mean not Miami not cheap in general. So right. I was just like, yeah, I'm gonna have to sit this one out. <laughs> have you been to one yet? No, I haven't. Oh, that was man. gonna be yeah. So this year I was really I had planned to go and everything. Mm -hmm. So I was just that's why I was also thinking, like, oh, it'll be cleared up by the summer. I'm good. So then I'm like, oh, miss DC. Well, anyway, we got Houston coming up this time. Yeah. Last week, they just sent out the email talking about Houston canceled. And I'm just like, wow. Yeah. And and it's like, you understand why. I thought yes, they were yes. on a hybrid model. Um, unfortunately, they didn't. But, you know, we will hold out. Vegas is going to be the biggest family reunion. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it is. It's going to be a good time. I'm already looking forward to it. Yeah. And you'll be here before we know it. So. I know. Have you ever been to Vegas? I have. The first time, well, the only time I've been is for my conference, my convention for Delta. Oh, okay. Um, 
Yep, that was my first time going, and that was off the chain, too. So I'm already knowing that NABJ is going to be a wild one. Yeah, see, the first time, I've, I only been once, and that was for the uh, an orthopedic conference, American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons. And I was going oh, wow. there to do social media and live tweet, like our doctors, their what they were talking about. And I stay in a very, very nice hotel, you know, shout out to Johns Hopkins paying for it. <laughs> I was staying in the encore and I was like, wow. But we were so busy that I didn't get that much time yeah, to check that's, out thing. That's exactly how it was for me. Cause we stayed in the night, we stayed in the MGM Grand. Okay. And so um, it was a conference and I was a delegate. So I had to be in all those meetings. And so, I mean, I did get to go out, but I didn't go clubbing at night because by the time I got in I was tired and we set alarms to go out and every night we hit the snooze on alarms and never mm. made it out yeah. but it was cool to be there and be in the atmosphere so yeah I went to um the only time I mean I ate a lot went to the buffets which was fun yeah. and I my cousin lives out there so that Friday night was my last night we went to a restaurant and you know just sat down and caught up we hadn't seen each other in a few years but mm -hmm. I'm hoping the next time you know NABJ I know they'll have some parties oh yeah yeah they, we had us a couple of parties too uh the Q's threw us a party there okay um and then uh you know I did a lot of walking on the strip and things like that but I definitely want to go AV riding and zip lining and you know clubbing and stuff i want to do that next time because i didn't get, get a chance to do it because i was handling business there so hey well we know one thing you have your priorities straight yeah yeah got you yeah. um i asked everybody this question and that is what was the moment that you felt you broke through the glass ceiling when you look back at your career and obviously you know i know you just get started but you've done so much in so little time and been very successful and you've become an inspiration to so many people. So what has been the moment when you look back and you said, wow, I'm pretty good at what I'm doing. And not that, you know, I know you're never satisfied, but you feel good about where you are. Man, um, I feel like when I get those emails or those calls from viewers um, and just say, hey, thank you for telling this story. Nobody would have told it. Nobody thought to tell it. Or um, just a simple message like, hey, you know, I saw you, I saw your segment, I saw your, your story, and it really made a difference in my home or my community. I think when the first time I got a message like that, that's when I knew, like, this is what I need to be doing. Because at first, you know, I was still figuring it out, like, hey, God, is, is this what I need to be doing? Or, you know, please show me, you know. But um, when I hear from other people that I touch them, then I feel like that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Because as a journalist, you want to tell the story of others. You want to highlight them. It's not about you. Um, and I just want to do the best work I can that I can to tell it. And I can tell that this is what I'm supposed to be doing when I'm nervous about something or when I'm really, I guess, stressed about putting a story together. And I said that because um, it just means that I, I'm so anxious, I'm so worried about, when I should say anxious, I'm so um, invested and worried about how is this gonna turn out and how is this gonna look to the viewer? That just lets me know that I'm passionate about it. And so um, I think, again, the same story with the little boy who passed away, I think, when I saw the reaction online from that story, I think that was the first story that I could say kind of went viral in a sense, not necessarily on social media, but from our website and my Facebook, um, the story did numbers. And um, just seeing the outpour of love, you know, for that kid, it's a kid again that died from cancer. So when I think when I did that, I was just like, wow. Yeah, this is it. This is what I want to do, and I think I really have fallen into the, to the the storytelling aspect of journalism. Like, I'm always a person who likes to listen and get to know people, and I feel like I do it naturally mm -hmm. on my own, even when I'm just talking to somebody, not even work related, and they tell me something. I'm all I've always been curious. I'm just like, oh wow, that sounds cool. I want to know more. So, um, yeah, I think that was 
and I don't know, I kind of gave you a couple of different scenarios, but just basically to sum it up, just that confirmation, just knowing that I actually touched somebody with my story that was about them. Um, that's when I realized, hey, this is this is it. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule uh, to come on, share your story. I'm very excited for people to hear this, uh, you know, because I know they'll be inspired. Uh, can you let the people know where they can find you? Yes, um, you can find me on social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram, um, LinkedIn, Sydney Simone One, uh, Facebook and YouTube is Sydney Simone One TV. Um, and my website will be up shortly. That will be SydneySimone1.com. And so again, I just want to say thank you for inviting me on. You could have chosen many other people um, just because, uh, like you said, I, I am kind of still fresh. Um, I mean, I am got a little bit of experience, but I still have so much more to go. Um, so you could have chosen anyone else you interview, but thank you so much for allowing me on to come onto your platform. I respect the work that you're doing. Um, the content is dope. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you coming on now means you got to come on later. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, That's I'm, all that I'm, means. I'm down to come back. I'm down to come back, you know, do a check-in every so often. Yeah, definitely. Since we're going to be sitting in the house, you know, we're we going to have time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> certainly. I appreciate it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Miss Sydney Simone. Make sure you guys connect with her on social media. Next week, I stand right here in the journalism world as I go to Western Pennsylvania with my good friend, little sister of mine, the one and only Miss Chelsea Johnson. Chelsea is a fellow Morgan State grad like myself a ESPN alum like myself and a spot Fox Sports 1340 alum so make sure you tune in next week to check out that episode remember folks do not let anyone set up a ceiling that you can't break through this podcast was recorded and edited by B Waters Productions the music by Hypno Beats make sure you follow him at Hypno underscore beats with a Z on Instagram.